So, is Christmas unbelievable? Since we heard from Luke chapter 2 this morning, we fittingly come to the third question of our series, how can you believe in a virgin birth? Now, fair warning, this message I think is pretty PG, but the topic will potentially raise adjacent issues for your kids, so you're welcome to take advantage of the kids program right now if you would like. Um, Last week, I spoke about Christmas trees. Uh, Today, I want to speak to you about another Christmas image to contemplate, and that's the image of the nativity, nativity scenes. In many Christian homes, the nativity scene is a staple decoration. People have, some people even have huge nativity scenes on their, on their lawns, which if that's you, you're probably also the people who have the real Christmas trees in your house. Others have them displayed on their mantles in their living room, and that's because the nativity scene captures the essence of the Christmas story by showing us the manger with all the major players, central of which is the baby Jesus. Now, do you know when the first manger scene was displayed? About 800 years ago, St. Francis of Assisi created and displayed the first manger, using real people, by the way. He developed this scene to help children understand the meaning, the true meaning of Christmas. And ever since then, it's been a tradition. Amidst all the gift-giving of the holidays, St. Francis wanted the kids to know that it's ultimately about the gift of a special baby, Jesus the Christ. And this baby who was born miraculously, we're told in Matthew's gospel, came to save his people from their sins. Christmas is about the birth of a baby. Now, I know many of you in here today, or if you're listening at home, uh, are parents. And I have three kids of my own. I was there at their conception, and I was there when they were born into this world. And there is just nothing like witnessing the birth of your child. There's joy, there's tears, there's trepidation, all rolled into one. It's very real. My wife and I also experienced a 21st century miracle through the help of modern science. Two of our children were born about a month early, and at least one of them would not have survived without the skill and knowledge of the NICU doctors. Now, if you don't know what the NICU is, it's the Neonatal, Neonatal Intensive Care Unit and they specialize in interventional care when babies need extra help at the beginning of life. And sometimes babies need to be put on ventilators to help them breathe or in incubators so they can grow depending on how early they are. And if you're a parent who's experienced this, you know that it can be emotionally taxing. But once your child completes their their time and quote-unquote graduates from the NICU, it feels miraculous. So Christmas is about the miraculous birth of a baby. It is, it is unbelievable. And when people object to the Christmas story and ask, how can you believe in a virgin birth, what they're highlighting is the tension between the nativity and the NICU. Or put another way, they're feeling this disconnect between modern science and the supernatural. And that's the disconnect at the root of the question, how can you believe in the virgin birth? If you live in the 21st century, you say, hasn't science told us where babies come from? You need a man and a woman to make a baby, although oddly that seems to be in, in question these days. It's science, right? Let's consider these scenes for just a moment. Let's, let's think about the nativity scene. With Jesus at the center, it proclaims the reality of the incarnation through this virgin birth. In fact, Luke's account, which we read today, Um, It it doesn't explicitly say that Mary's a virgin, but if you read Matthew's account, chapter 1, it specifically says that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit and quotes the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, which affirms that she was a virgin. Now, it's likely that Matthew includes this prophecy to highlight the divinity of Jesus. 
So let me ask you a question. When you read the Christmas story, do you ever pause and just marvel at this reality? Do you explain it to your kids in an appropriate way? It is supernatural, and it's a crucial element to the Christmas story. Now, the NICU scene points to the beauty of modern science. But modern science typically emphasizes the natural world, and many have issues with this supernatural concept. Now, the question is, can science explain everything? How are we to reconcile the scene of the nativity and the NICU? That's the crux of Christmas. It's what makes Christmas beautifully unbelievable, and yet absolutely true at the same time. In fact, listen to how the gospel writer John describes it. He says, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of what? Grace and truth. God himself became a human being and chose to dwell, to live among us. The Lord of nature, the God who is sovereign over all creation, chose to supernaturally enter his creation, the natural world. And so in today's message, what I want to do is look further at the beginning of John's gospel and seek to answer two questions. Number one, do we need to believe in the virgin birth? And second, can we reconcile science and the supernatural? Now, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5 offers an outline to explore that question. And if I could, I would just outline it this way. First, there is the creation. Second, there is the formation. And then finally, as we explore those first two, it leads to the light in the darkness. The creation, the formation, the light in the darkness. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts today as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, my friends who are here today, Lord. Thank you for those that are bringing questions. Thank you for those that are confident, Lord. I pray that today's message would, would speak to both, Lord. I ask that you would open up our hearts to hear what you would have us uh, hear from your word, that you would uh, help us to see the beauty of your two words, your written word and your created word today, Lord God. And that we would leave this place changed and transformed and challenged all for your glory. We ask that in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's first discuss the creation. John's gospel begins this way. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, if you've been around church for any period of time, you've, you've heard this verse, right? In the beginning was the Word. Now, one of the big questions of life that physicists attempt to answer is just simply this. Where did everything come from? What, was there a beginning? How did all of this start? And John's answer is just this. The word, Jesus himself, that's a title for Jesus, God's son, he was there in the beginning. In fact, he is the beginning and the end of all things if you read the Bible. Now, that Greek word, word, you may know, is the word logos, which is where we get our English word logic from. And in that culture, in the first century, it had a deeper meaning. The word logos was meant to convey the meaning of life. And so you simply could just go through and change this verse and say, in the beginning was the meaning of life, and the meaning of life was with God, and the meaning of life was God. And that's a question we all have to ask and answer, right? At some point in our lives, we start asking, why am I here? What's my purpose? Does all of this, this stuff that we're experiencing, does it have meaning? Think back to that NICU scene for just a moment. Where do babies come from? 
I mean, all, all of us had a beginning, right? However it happened, a mother and a father, they got together, a child was conceived, and that child was born and grew up and started to ask these questions. We, we all do. Now, what does the nativity, what does the virgin birth of Jesus have to do with these questions? It has everything to do with these questions. Because if you, if you really believe there was a virgin birth, if God really came to earth, it points to the reality of a creator God. So the question is, is the virgin birth true? Is it true? Now, skeptics would say that believing in the virgin birth is anti-science. After all, didn't Christians make up this claim to prove their narrative about Jesus being God? Well, let's talk just quickly about some objections that people raise. First, some people, even those who claim to be Christians, will say the virgin birth is just unimportant. If the virgin birth didn't happen, you might say it doesn't make a difference to the Christian faith. But the reason Matthew, I think, includes it in the gospel was to highlight Jesus' divinity. And since I believe that Jesus was God, I think it's vital to include this miracle, because why would you remove this and not other miracles? They're, they're all important. Second, skeptics will say the virgin birth was borrowed from Greek mythology, right? Didn't you read, didn't you read a lot of stories about Greek gods in high school coming down and fathering children with mortals who then became demigods? I mean, was Jesus really the same as Hercules? I don't think so. I mean, I mean for one, for one, there's, there's no other story like, exactly like the virgin birth in pagan literature. And second, along with that, one of the reasons I think the virgin birth is true is just simply because you would not expect this story in that cultural context. I mean, to say that Jesus was illegitimately born would open up his conception to claims of immorality, and that was judged really harshly in the first century. So the question is, why, why would you take the risk of telling the story if it wasn't true? This, this, ha- this, this kind of argumentation happens a lot in the Gospels. Why would you tell it if it wasn't true? And then third, there was good evidence of eyewitness accounts. Now, maybe not to the scope of the resurrection, but we still have Mary and Joseph, right? Mary influenced Luke's writing, and Joseph influenced Matthew. And since they were the ones who met the angel, they were the eyewitnesses to the prophecy and to the birth. Now, last week, I already covered the trustworthiness of the gospel accounts, so I'm not going to rehash that today. You can go back and watch that sermon if you want. Um, But because of this, we have every reason to believe that Mary and Joseph were telling the truth. So that's just a couple reasons why we can believe the virgin birth was true. And I think it's important to believe that it's true because it says something about the nature of God and the nature of Christmas. So there's two questions I think that everybody in this room will ask and answer at some point in time during their life. The key questions, who is God? What is he like? Now, whether you're a Christian or not, you're asking and answering those questions, at least implicitly. Everybody will answer those questions in some way. If God created this world as the Bible claims, why could he not supernaturally bring about a virgin birth? And if the virgin birth is true, if God came to earth as a baby and died on a cross to save us from our sins, why wouldn't you want to know this God? So it seems to me, if you want to know, if you can believe in the virgin birth, you first have to know if there's a God who created the universe. Now, John Lennox is a scientist who believes in this God, a brilliant mathematician, Christian apologist, former professor at Oxford University. He wrote a wonderful little book called Can Science Explain Everything? And in relatively short order, about 100 pages, if you want to pick it up, uh, he, he makes some compelling arguments why the answer is no. 
right? Science is important, but it has its limitations. Science can only describe how things are, not why they exist. And so he offers this illustration. Uh, maybe this will get you revved up for Christmas dinner. Uh, think about a moment for who, who the best baker in your family is. Let's just say it's Aunt Matilda. Maybe you have an Aunt Matilda out there. I don't know. But picture your favorite baked good and picture your, your favorite baker making it. Maybe it's pumpkin pie, it's cheesecake, it's eclairs, it's lemon meringue. <clears throat> yes, that's right. Your mouth is watering right now. You get the idea. Now imagine that baked good, whichever one you're picturing, maybe it's on there, maybe it's not. Um, imagine it's submitted for examination and experimentation by the world's best scientists. This will be quite the scene, right? Uh, the biochemists come in and they'll tell you about the structure of the fats and the proteins, etc., that are involved in the composition of this baked good. The chemists will come in and they'll talk about the elements involved. The physicists would analyze the cake's fundamental particles. The mathematicians then would come in and offer an elegant set of equations to describe the behavior of those particles. Well, here's what John Lennox writes. He says, now, we know how the cake was made after all this hullabaloo and what it's made of, but suppose we now ask these scientists why the cake was made. And the grin on Aunt Matilda's face shows that she knows the answer because she made the cake. But surely it's self-evident, he says, that the best scientists in all the world will not be able to tell us from their investigations why she made it. Unless she reveals the answer, they will never know. The natural scientists can, sciences can cope with questions about the nature and the structure of the cake, but they cannot answer the why question of purpose. Science has its limitations. Science has its limitations. Now, many scientists who are not Christians will hold to a materialistic view of the world. In other words, this world is all there is. There's nothing supernatural. There's no creator. And if, and if, that's, your, if that's your belief... I can understand why you would not accept the virgin birth, amongst other things. But here's my problem with that. I've never heard anybody who holds this view offer a good answer to this question. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something rather than nothing? If there's no creator, how would you answer that question? Now, the late Stephen Hawking, the well-known and brilliant physicist, tried to answer that question by claiming the universe can and will create itself from nothing. And far be it for me to disagree with Stephen Hawking, but it seems like a very nebulous answer. But don't take my word for it. What do I know? Uh, I'm just a pastor. Listen to Alan Sandage, the father of modern astronomy, the guy who discovered quasars. What does he say? He says, I find it quite improbable that such order came out of chaos. There has to be some organizing principle. God to me is a mystery, but it's the explanation for the miracle of existence. Why is there something instead of nothing? And that's the question, and of course, at least there's debate amongst these scientists. Now, you see, no matter how brilliant you are, if you don't believe in a creator God, you still have to answer the question, why is there something rather than nothing? But now somebody might challenge that question and say, well, if you believe that God created the universe, who created God? And when you're asked that question, you're assuming that God was created. But if the Bible is to be believed, God has always existed and is eternal. 
And if you're somebody like Stephen Hawking who believes the universe did all the creating, it's natural to ask him the same question, who created your creator? Now, another common answer scientists might offer for this is the theory of the multiverse. And yes, it's not just something from Marvel Comics. The multiverse theory attempts to explain all the fine-tuning in the universe by stating that there's endless parallel universes, each governed by their own laws. Because in order to have life, it's amazing. There's certain factors in the physical world that must exist. And if they're off by a mere fraction, the stars, the earth, even life itself would cease to exist. And in this multiverse theory, our universe just happens to be the one that has the right numbers to sustain life. Of course, the theory can't really be tested scientifically because it can't be observed. Now, what's interesting is this. When given the choice between believing in a creator God or the multiverse, many scientists will opt for the latter. And I would just say, friends, do you you have such a problem with God that you are unwilling to even consider his existence? Are multiple universes the best explanation for where the universe came from? This morning, I, I would just ask you to reconsider Because when you really think about it and you examine the evidence, it's highly likely, I think, that you'll come to the same conclusion that many scientists have come to themselves. The best explanation for the creation of the universe is a creator God. And if there is a creator God who made the universe, it's plausible, even logical, to believe that he could come to earth and be born of a virgin. Because he's God after all, right? Now, John tells us that this God was there in the beginning. He was with God. He was God. He was there in the beginning. Now, people today use a lot of words, right? They shout them. In fact, people assume that if you say something, this is what I've found, if you say something louder and longer than the other person, it just becomes true. Have you, have you experienced this? But be, just because you say something doesn't make it true, You have to examine the evidence. And what John's gospel tells us is this. God speaks. God reveals himself to the world through words. In fact, if you're a fan of the Chronicles of Narnia, you know there's a beautiful scene in The Magician's Nephew where Aslan, the great lion, a symbol for Jesus Christ, actually sings Narnia into existence. There was nothing, and then there was something at the sound of his voice. He both reveals himself to creation and he rules that creation. And if you come to the conclusion that there's a creator God who has revealed himself through creation, we must also conclude that he rules that creation. And because of that, he can be born of a virgin. But let's not stop there. The incarnation, God dwelling among us through a virgin birth, is possible, yes, because there's a creator, But if he rules the world, it also means that he's actively involved in its formation. That's point number two, the formation. Now, before my wife and I experienced the science of the NICU, we were able to see our child on ultrasounds. And that's just an amazing advancement of modern science. Doctors and parents can check out their their baby's development before they're born. In fact, in fact, if you have the chance to have an ultrasound during the third trimester, you can even see your child's face. Here's a picture of our daughter, youngest daughter, Zoe, 28 weeks, opening her eye at us while she's still in the womb. God made her in his image, the image of God right there. So before our kids were born, they were developing. They were forming inside of my wife. And I know for her, it was such a joy to feel them move 
and for dad to feel them kick on occasion. And Zoe was a mover and a shaker and still is. This is just an example of science and faith working together. Because the scriptures tell us in Psalm 139 that God knits us. He forms us in our mother's womb. And the scientific technology of ultrasounds just reveals what God is doing. They're not in conflict. They work in tandem. Now, when my kids were in the NICU needing some help, it it was not as if God was absent. He was working through the doctors to intervene in the life of our children. So if you continue to read John's gospel, we learn something else about the character of God. We learn in verse 3, it says, Through him, the word, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So the first two verses, we learn that God pre-exists the world. Before time and space, he was just there. Verse 3 corroborates then that he creates. He made Everything, but we also get the sense that God was actively involved in creating and forming the world. In other words, He's not an absent God. He cares about His creation. And that brings us back to two crucial, those two crucial questions Who is God? What is He like? Who is God? What is He like? And this verse tells you He made the world and He cares about the world. And that's why the virgin birth is so important. The virgin birth shows us at least two things. God has power over nature. He can work miracles. And number two, God can step into time and space to influence the world. He is not the God of deism who stands far off and does not care about his creation. So, <coughs> excuse me. So let me come back to the tension of the nativity and the NICU for just a moment. Because if we're to believe that the virgin birth, in the virgin birth, we must, again, deal with the tension of the science and the supernatural. The virgin birth is a miracle where God steps in and seems to break the laws of nature. So how can you have a baby without a mother and a father? Well, Enlightenment philosopher David Hume very famously raised that problem. He just simply says miracles are a violation of the laws of nature, and so they can't exist. But are they? Are they violations if they are carried out by the very God who controls and creates the universe? And so to answer that question, we have to consider several objections raised by skeptics. First, people would say miracles require faith where science does not. But again, that view presupposes a view of the world where God does not exist, which we covered in point one. A worldview based on materialism, where this world is all there is, will throw out buzzwords like, you know, reason and science and evidence, assuming that people of faith have not considered those. People assume that Christians use faith as an emotional crutch during hard times. For example, very popular podcaster Joe Rogan made this claim one time. Listen to this. He says, people find great comfort in these belief systems. I've often said it gives them a scaffolding for their structure of the world, their ethics, their morals, and they can use religion as some sort of mechanism to help them get by, something they can climb on to ease their confusion of the unknown. Now, Joe Rogan's a pretty sharp guy, certainly not a man of faith, but what is he saying here? He's saying that if you're a person of faith, if you're a Christian, if you're somebody who believes in the virgin birth of Christmas, in miracles, all of that's kind of a nice fairy tale to help ease your confusion of the unknown. But again, I would ask Mr. Rogan, is that true? Right? Does his belief system, 
you know, presumably without God, require as much faith. I mean, that's the question John Lennox posed to Princeton professor Peter Singer during a debate. Singer, an atheist, Lennox, a Christian. Singer makes the argument that people like John Lennox tend to inherit their faith from the families they grew up in. In other words, in his view, the only reason most of us Christians, most of us for Christians is because our parents brought us to church. He doesn't really think there's evidence for this fairy story. Well, John Lennox pushed back and said, well, Peter, were your parents atheists? And Singer replied that, yes, his mother was an atheist and his father was an agnostic. And so John Lennox said, well, so you're perpetuating the faith of your parents too, like I am. And Singer replied, well, it's not faith in my view. To which Lennox said, of course it's a faith. Don't you believe it? The point is this. We all have belief systems based on some level of faith, whether that's in the scientific method or in the God of the Bible. An evaluation of those belief systems requires logical thinking and examining the evidence. Now, a second common objection is that miracles are unnatural. To which I would reply, of course they're unnatural. They are supernatural. I mean, if you look at the version birth again, a skeptic might argue and say, well, those people lived in the pre-scientific world and this miracle was their way of making sense of the world. It's their scaffolding, as Joe Rogan said. But did they know even in the first century, that it took a man and a woman to make a baby. Like, it, this wasn't rocket science. What would, what, let me ask you a question. What would you do right now if somebody came up to you and said, I'm pregnant, I haven't slept with anybody or used any technology, and an angel visited me and told me it would happen? How would you explain that? You'd probably go ask Google, right? Or you go, hey, Siri, can the virgin birth happen? A supernatural event is when God himself intervenes in the world and it cannot be explained any other way. Again, if you assume that the virgin birth is true, what do you learn about God? He has power over nature and he can step into time and space and influence the world. Now, how does this work if we know the laws of nature? Let me give you another illustration. Imagine that you have a desk in your house. I I assume most of you do. Now imagine two weeks ago, you open up the central drawer of your desk and you put $50 in your desk for safekeeping. Now last week, you add $100 and this morning before you come to church, you add another $50 and then you close the door and you lock it. Now the laws of arithmetic would predict that after church today, you will go home and how much money will you find in your, uh, in your, in your desk? Assuming you're pretty good at math and I think I, think I figured it out, you, you'd have $200 there, Right? You'd assume you'd have $200 in your desk. But assume you go home today and you only find $100. What does that mean? Were the laws of arithmetic broken? Or were you just really bad at math? It's reasonable to conclude that if you had $200 in there and then $100 is left, that a thief, maybe somebody even from your own family, has broken in and stolen your money. But have they broken the laws of arithmetic? No, they've just simply stolen $100 out of your drawer, which, by the way, I hope that doesn't happen to you. But it would be silly to conclude that the laws of arithmetic make it impossible to believe in the existence of such a thief. And that's how miracles work. This is how the miracle of the virgin birth happened. I'm not saying that God is a thief. I am saying that he owns it all. And he can choose to intervene, to open up that desk drawer anytime he wants. 
which raises a final objection. If God could intervene miraculously in the world, why is there evil and suffering? And this, we must concede, is a very difficult question. Perhaps even as I I shared uh, stories about my NICU experience, a chord struck in your heart and it was touched. Because maybe your child was born and the doctors did everything they could and your child did not live. And for you, that pain is very real. And maybe when you read the Christmas story and you hear about the virgin birth, you know in your heart miracles could be real, but you choose not to believe it because of the pain you've experienced. You just look up at the sky and you say, why me? God, why did you not step in in my moment of distress? Now, answering that question requires more time than I have left, but I would just, I would say a couple points. First, I don't know why God doesn't intervene in every situation, but I do know that he cares. Second, this is not a question of science and faith. It's an issue of why suffering exists. And then finally, I do believe that the Christian faith offers hope in the midst of suffering. Because removing God from the equation just simply leaves us with a problem and no ultimate solution. But now you might say, well, what does all this have to do with Christmas and the virgin birth? Again, it has everything to do with them because Christmas and the virgin birth point to the reality of a creator God who made the world and that he has revealed himself to the world. God made for the purpose of revealing himself to his creation and best of all, and why this matters, God made you. The Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God. We have value. He has given us calling and purpose. That ultrasound image I shared of my daughter, God made her. He knit her together. And only he can infuse meaning, the logos, into her life. And that's where the miracle of the the virgin birth and Christmas points. That there's this creator God who makes the world, who intervenes in it. And so the the, the tension of the NICU and the nativity can be summed up by this statement made by author Glenn Scribner. He said, Christians believe in the miracle of the virgin virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle. Indeed, which miracle will you choose? Because once you see that that God must have created the world, once you see that he's involved in our formation, it's time to pursue, finally, the light in the darkness. The light in the darkness. Now, I remember the day we found out that we were pregnant with our first child. Just what an amazing feeling. A child had been created. I remember her feeling her kick as she grew and she formed. But there's nothing like the day they're born. And the day my oldest daughter was born is just seared in my, my memory. It was, in some ways, the light at the end of the tunnel or the beginning of the new tunnel. Christmas is very much about light in the darkness. Even Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, uses this language, chapter 9. He says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so that prophecy points to the tension we've been talking about, that tension of the nativity and the NICU. If God created the world, if God made us in his image, what does he want us to do? How should we respond to that reality? And the answer is this. He wants us to follow the light. How does John conclude his opening verses? Speaking about Jesus, the one who was born of the virgin, he says, in him was life. 
And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Did you hear that? In him was life. The life of Jesus Christ, the word, the logos, it provides light in your moment of darkness. The darkness cannot, will not overcome him. And what does that mean? It means there's always hope. And that is why the virgin birth is crucial. It's why we put up the nativity every year. It's why the star is on the top of the tree. We long for light in the darkness. And this is particularly true at the end of life. Some of us right now may be facing very real physical trials. One day we will all, no matter how old you are, one day you will face death. Now when Stephen Hawking, the famous physicist I mentioned earlier, confronted his own mortality, he made this very famous defiant statement. He said, there is no heaven, there is no afterlife. That's a fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. And and just such a such a sad statement, because even at the end, he refused the light. Why? John Lennox makes this very quotable observation. He just simply says, atheism is a fairy story for people afraid of the light. So despite the evidence, despite the compelling story, despite the problems facing us, people still walk in darkness. And I'm asking myself, why don't people follow the light? And I think there's a few ways to explain that phenomenon. There's a few groups of people uh, that, that are out there. And I, and I just want to ask you as I'm describing this, do you fit in any one of these three groups I'm about to mention? Which one are you? First, the first group, there's some people who don't follow the light because they have not examined the evidence. Maybe you're lazy. Uh, maybe you're overwhelmed and you're too busy. Maybe you don't have time to read a bunch of books or listen to podcasts or talk to people about the topic. It's just easier to maintain the status quo and believe the slogans. And I mean, some of the slogans that you hear out there, they're pretty catchy. Things like, uh, faith and science don't mix, right? Uh, Love is love, don't hate, okay? Uh, Or simply just, I believe in science and all that entails, right? We just throw things out there and we don't think about them. But have you ever stopped and asked, are those slogans true? Because my appeal to you today is this, seek the truth. And if if you already believe, just simply let the truth speak for itself. You know, St. Augustine, the famous father of the church, once made this really profound statement. He said, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose. It will defend itself. So second, you may have examined the evidence, but you don't like the conclusions. That's the second category. Maybe you've heard the cosmological argument, the moral argument. You've recognized that there must be a creator. You even heard the argument for the Bible that we made last week, and you think it's reasonable that it might be true. Jesus may be who he said he is, but you don't want to go there because, thirdly, you don't want to surrender. You don't want to surrender. And I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up and where a lot of people are. Because if you actually believe things like the virgin birth, that they're real, it would change the way you lived your life. Your life would not be your own. There's a higher power who now demands your allegiance. That's that's the barrier. We don't want to surrender. We want to live for ourselves. Now, John alludes to this later in his gospel account. What does he say? Chapter 3, verse 19. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of the light 
because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And whether you're a Christian or not here today, this verse should bring us all conviction. Do you love the darkness more than the light? Do you love the darkness more than the light? The reason we don't surrender to Jesus, the one who made the world and who was born of a virgin, is because we love the darkness. We have been deceived into thinking that the darkness will give us purpose and fulfillment and love. But it won't. Let me give you one more illustration about how this, how this plays out. A number of years ago, I, uh, before I was married, I, I went to a uh, conference in New York City on sex, singleness, and dating, which seems appropriate about the, uh, yeah, it's a Christian conference, uh, seems appropriate since we're talking about the virgin birth today. Because for somebody who's out there listening to this and you're single, what's the cultural message? What is the worst thing you could possibly be today? A virgin. Why? Because we are inundated. We are told over and over again from influencers, from art, from messages, that how do you find, in order to find your identity, your fulfillment, your purpose, what does it come down to? It comes down to your sexuality. And and one of the the speakers at the conference just broke down the foolishness of this message. And at the end, I've never forgotten what he said, even to this day. He, He looked at us, he looked at the audience and he said, for some of us out there, the reason we will not give our lives fully to Jesus, the reason you will not surrender everything to him is because he disagrees with you about sex. And for a group of singles living in New York City, that was a pretty convicting statement. But I would just broaden it out and ask, how about you? Is there a lifestyle you are holding on to, an area of your life you want to control or, or a relationship you can't end? Is one of those things keeping you from giving your whole life to Jesus today? Because here's the reality. Christmas is not just a nice story. It is not a legend. It is a statement about who God is and what he is like. He created the world, he wants to be involved in your life, and he wants to save you from your sins. Jonathan Feng is a a professor of physics and astronomy at UC Irvine, done some amazing work in the area of dark matter, also a committed Christian. Here's what he says about the wonder of Christmas. He says, what's truly amazing about the Christian faith is the idea that the God who made the universe from quarks to galaxies also cares enough about us to be born as a human and to suffer and die and bring forgiveness and new life to broken people. So don't you see? When we're talking about the virgin birth, we're talking about this larger story, this amazing reality of God saving his people. The reason the virgin birth is important is because it shows us that miracle of Christmas. And the reason that God came to earth as a baby was that he wants to offer light in the darkness. He wants to guide us home. So yes, God creates the universe. Yes, he made us in his image, but at the end of the day, God is a God who saves. And that's why John's gospel doesn't end in chapter one. He keeps going. He talks to a man named Nicodemus about another birth. 
And that virgin birth points to John 3.16, which you've probably heard of. What does it say? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now just wrap your mind around that. The God of the universe was born as a baby so that you and I could have eternal life. But the ball's in your court. This Christmas, it's time to choose your miracle. Will you believe in the virgin birth? Will the creator of the universe transcended the laws of nature and came to earth? Or will you believe in a virgin universe with no creator and no beginning? Which seems right to you? In the beginning was the word, the logos, the reason for life itself. He made all things and then the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ The son of the living God wants to offer you the grace he secured for you on the cross. But first, the truth must set you free. And that truth is a lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. You just simply have to let it loose in the minds and hearts of those you love. And he will defend himself. So as the worship team comes on stage for one last song, I just want to end where I started with that tension of the nativity and the NICU. Because both involve babies. One is supernatural. One is the best science has to offer. But the more I think about it, do they really have to be at odds? Science shows us the amazing reality of the natural world that God created. We need that. And I believe that God used those NICU doctors to save our kids. But that does not mean he was uninvolved. He was very involved. The NICU is a gift of God to this world for little vulnerable babies. But the NICU is nothing without the nativity. Because in the nativity, we see the power of a creator God. A God who steps into the world. Who wants to transform our lives. Who wants to save us for eternity. I've seen NICU doctors do some amazing things, but I've also had NICU doctors come to me and say, there's nothing else we can do. And it's in that moment that we need the reality of the nativity. It's in that moment that the only place you can turn is to the God who can miraculously overrule the laws of nature because he made them. We need the God who stepped into time and space as a baby through a miraculous birth, who took on flesh, who dwelt among us. And because he did, he knows everything you are going through. He is the light when we are engulfed in darkness. And so this Christmas, I hope, if you look to the nativity, you will find that miraculous light in the darkness, the light that has the power to change everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. 
Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who was born miraculously, who performed miracles, who died on a cross, who rose again from the grave, and who offers us life. Father, help us to find that this morning if we're questioning. Help us to be reassured of that today if we believe, Lord God. And help us to leave this place with the joy that comes from knowing you. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.